Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Thank you. Uh, welcome to Church of Bergen. My name is uh, Mike McKinney. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, if you're new with us or you're not a Christian, this is your first time uh, coming here. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Just want to extend a special welcome to you. Thanks for being here. Uh, we really hope this is just a, a safe place where you can ask questions and seek things out, and who Jesus is and what he's, what he's done for us. Um, also, if you are new uh, and you think you might, I don't know, maybe come back or something, uh, there's a little connection card in the seat back in front of you. You can take that out, fill it out front and back. There's even like a little prayer uh, section there, prayer requests. Uh, just fill that out. Take it to the info desk right on the hallway. Give it to them. Uh, they will answer any questions that you might have just about the church, ways to get involved, uh, connected. They'd even be happy to, to pray with you as well. Uh, and just so you guys know, I've said this before, but we actually have um, uh, one of our elders actually gets these requests uh, personally and pray. It takes time to actually pray for them. So please know uh, that if you write your prayer requests on here, it's, it's not in vain by any stretch of the imagination. So that's uh, that's that. Also, just a, just a quick reminder, we've been doing our apologetics class on, we just started it last Tuesday night. Uh, last week was our first one. There were over a hundred people here on Tuesday night. It was exciting, and it was just the introduction to foundations. Uh, so I just want to extend an invite to, to you guys again. If you have not, we don't, we're, we're, let me try that again. If you're not able to make it out, uh, please feel free to come uh, Tuesday night, bring a friend. Uh, I'd only ask that you register online just so we know like, what to expect, because if 100 people came last week and more of you come, we want to just be aware so we can prepare accordingly. Uh, and it was just a really, really cool time. We just, uh, we just did like a little 40, 45-minute uh, lecture. Uh, with, with, we actually got the PowerPoint out and actually had a video, a little YouTube video as well, uh, a little break. And then we do just a live half an hour Q&A. Just grab the microphone, just drill the pastor with any questions. And so this next Tuesday, we're doing How Can We Trust the Bible? Uh, which is a great topic. A lot of, I know a lot of people have a lot of questions, uh, and so we will do that. And so please, I uh, hope to see some of you guys, some of you guys there. So we've been, uh, I'm preaching today. We've been in uh, the book of Psalms, and uh, we're going to be in Psalm 19 this morning. So if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can open those up. I'm just going to uh, read the text this morning uh, all the way through, just to kind of feel the, the flow, and then I will pray for us. Psalm 19. Uh, the book of Psalms is just a, a very special uh, book. It is, it is a favorite to many. It's one of my favorites. Anytime that I have just a few minutes to read the Bible, I don't have a lot of time. Uh, what I will do and what I regularly do is I'll read a Psalm and just pick one of the verses in there that's really just presses on my heart, that just really reminds me of how wonderful Jesus is, how great God is. I'll just pick that verse and pray to God and talk to him about it. Uh, so we're in Psalm 19. I'm going to read it all the way through. Here we go. This is the Word of God, Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words the end of the world. In them he, that is God, has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warmed, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your help now. I ask for your help now that you would help me to uh, feel the significance of, of how you have made yourself fully known. You have not held yourself back. You have made yourself clearly seen and perceived and known through all that you have made. Free my heart now to rejoice in the truth that you have for us to see here in the psalm. Holy Spirit, come, and I ask that you would enable the hearts of these here before me to enjoy and treasure whatever you want them to see and hear this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. So Psalm 19. Uh, the title of my sermon is Full Disclosure. Full Disclosure. And the definition of full disclosure is to completely expose and not hide any evidence factual information that's relevant to a situation. You don't hold anything back. You're, maybe you're doing a business deal, you and someone else, and you're, you're bargaining, you're talking about things, but you're, you're, full disclosure means you're not hiding anything that might sway the other person in a way that you don't want them to go. You're, you're, you give them all relevant facts. Or maybe you're coming into a no, another job, a new job, and you're talking to your employer and the full disclosure is they tell you everything, all the expectations. They're not hiding something behind their back and kind of slip into there uh, as soon as you sign the contract. Or maybe you're selling something, maybe a car, a used car. And uh, full disclosure means you're not hiding any of old, the old wrecks or things that are wrong with the car. You say, I'm going to sell this car. I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong with it so you know I'm, I'm being upfront and being fully disclosing uh, with you. And the thing that I want us to see today is that God has fully disclosed himself. God has not held back the evidence for who he is. God has not held back the factual information about what we need to know about him. God has fully disclosed himself in a way that is obvious and ubiquitous. You don't need to Google ubiquitous. It just means it's everywhere. I know that some of you are like, what does ubiquitous mean? Ubiquitous means it's everywhere and it's obvious, it's plain, it's clear. And you can see this right at the beginning of Psalm 19. So what can we see? I think we can see kind of two things about God's full disclosure here in Psalm 19. Verse, look with me at verse 1. Um, the first thing we can see is that God is preaching the glory of God through creation. God himself is giving a sermon about his own glory through everything that he's made. Look at verse 1. The heavens, that's another word for sky. It's a biblical way of just saying sky above. The heavens declare, that's preaching language, that's heralding language. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
So when you look up above and observe the blue sky during the day and you look at the stars at the evening, God is preaching to you. He's clearly communicating his magnificence, his majesty, his greatness to you. You're hearing God's sermon about God's glory. If you could even notice through the, the, all the way through verses 4, the strong speech language. Verses 1, verse 1 says, uses the word declare and proclaims. Look at verse 2. He uses the word speech and knowledge. In verses 3 through 4, he uses words and voice. God is talking. God is disclosing himself. He's speaking. And no doubt, I have no doubt, a skeptic, maybe you're here. We're glad that you're here. We love talking to people who have lots of questions. But no doubt the skeptic is going to say, well, I don't, I don't hear anything. I mean, I look at the sky and I don't, I don't hear God speaking. What's, I don't hear him audibly talking to me. What are you talking about, you weird Christian? It's okay, we are weird. Christians are weird because we love Jesus a lot. So I'm not, without being sarcastic, it's, it's called nonverbal communication. When God is speaking through creation, it's called nonverbal communication. Those of you who are married or professionals at this, uh, wives, you know you can speak 10,000 words with this single stare at your husband. You can just, right? And you're saying 10 million things, and the husband's like, okay, I got it. I got it. You don't want to say anything. The point is not that God is literally speaking audibly, but it is so clear and obvious that it is as if. He were speaking audibly through his creation. I, I even tested this. You should never preach a sermon without first applying it to yourself. I just say, Lord, I just want to, I, I came here yesterday just to go over my sermon. And I was driving on 208 South and finally it stopped raining, bless the Lord. And the skies opened up and it was blue and it was white clouds everywhere. And I was looking, I was just staring at it and I'm just going. It was just screaming out, God, God is great. God is glorious. God is here. It's obvious. It's plain. There it is. So God is preaching the glory of God through creation. It's constantly happening. And the second thing I think we'd see about God's full disclosure is you can run from it, but you can't hide from it. You can run from God's full disclosure through all that he has made, but you cannot hide from it. Verses two through four. Look at verse two. Day to day, that is every day, day after day after day, pours out speech. That that phrase pours out just bubbles over like a spring, constantly gushing out water. Every single day, God is gushing out, spewing out that he's here, that he's great, that he's deserving of all of our worship, that he deserves to be honored, that he deserves to be praised. Second half, verse two, and night to night, it's not like he turns off the speakerphone, the megaphone. It's not like he stops preaching at nighttime. It just changes light. Light goes away and the new stars come out. Night to night reveals knowledge. Every single night, God is revealing knowledge of himself. How do you know God exists? It's plain. It's revealed to you. It's right there. You don't have to sit around and debate about all these arguments. Those arguments are helpful. 
But night to night, every single night, it is revealing knowledge. His voice is constant, and it is abundant every day. Every night, God's voice is going out. You can run from it, but you can't hide from it. Verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. That's just a really strange way of saying Every time God sends out a message, which is constantly, every time he sends the words out, there is never a moment when it falls upon deaf ears. There's never a moment when God's like, I'm great. Oh, man, they didn't hear that. Oh, they missed it. Every single time he's, which is every time, which is constantly, he's constantly saying it. It always falls upon people who hear it. Every word is heard by someone. You can run from God's revelation, but you cannot hide from it. You can ignore someone talking to you, but you still hear them. Someone's talking to you, you hear it, but you can deliberately ignore them. You can ignore God's clear, obvious plane through the skies, through all that he has made. You can hear it, you can choose to ignore it, but you cannot help but hear it and be aware of it. Look at verse 4, their voice, that is the sky's voice. So just as God is, uses a man to preach the Bible so that people become reconciled to God by believing in Christ, so God uses the skies to declare his own greatness. Their voice, the sky's voice, goes out through all the earth. That is, that is radical. That is audacious. The Bible is an audacious Book and their words, the sky's words to the end of the world. What's the point here? Everyone hears God's voice. I mean, everyone. What about the person on the remote? I, if you are a conscious human being with the capacity of perception, and being able to understand your perception. If you have access to creation, you have heard God's sermon in the sky. And he goes one step further. Look at the end of verse 4. He doesn't just put the sky out there. He puts one big, bright object lesson for us to see something. In them, that is the skies, verse 4, end of verse 4, in them, the skies, he, that's God, has set a tent for the sun, which comes out, the, the sun, comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising, that is the sun's rising, is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. God's voice through the sky and through the sun will never stop because God is really, really excited about what he has made and about what he has made and what it's saying about him. God has placed the sun in the sky as a visual display, a continual reminder, it's always coming up, a continual reminder of God's exuberant volcanic joy. He takes in his own glory through creation. You can see that in verse 5. 
the sun comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Happiest, one of the happiest days of a man's life is wedding day. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Maybe you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire. If you haven't seen that, I recommend that you watch it. About Eric Liddell, who's a Christian, and there was this controversy. He, re- he refused to com- compete in the Olympics. He was a very, very fast runner. He refused to compete in the Olympics in a race because of this, it was on the Sabbath. And there's this famous quote. It was, they asked him, why do you run? Why do you compete? And he said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Just as the sun rises and shines day after day in all its beautiful brilliance, so God will joyfully see to it that everyone on planet earth is exposed to his glory. That's why it says in verse 6, it's rising from the end of the heavens and circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. Just as the sun strikes whatever part of the earth it's hitting, it strikes it all. Can't hide from it. And God is in control of this massive sun. A couple of interesting facts about the sun. The sun is so big, you can fit 1.3 million earths inside the sun, which means you can fit 64 million moons in the sun. On the surface of the sun, it's 10,000 degrees. At the core, it's something like 20 Five million degrees. It's traveling in the solar system at 43,000 miles per hour, per hour. And in the entire Milky Way galaxy, there is at least 100 billion stars. And God is saying, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty fitting picture of how great and how awesome and how big I am. That's why when people say, I've heard it said before, that the universe seems like such a waste of space. That is, if you assume that God does not exist. But if you just follow the obvious voice that's clearly being proclaimed to you, you know that he's there. And the universe is just simply a small little tiny picture of the infinite majesty and greatness that God is. And so I, I, I try to sympathize. If you're here and you're a skeptic, you're not really sure if God exists or you, you know, you don't, maybe you don't believe in him. Uh, I try to be sympathetic, but it's, it's, it's hard because it just seems so obvious to me that God is there. You know, a while ago, I was, I was having a conversation with someone who didn't believe in God, and uh, he was doing just the classic, it's, it's very uh, typical, you know, show me evidence, give me proof, I don't see God, give me the evidence for God's existence, and here's the thing. I'm a pastor, so I have to be aware of like all the, all the arguments for God's existence and against God's existence and the scientific explanation for God's existence and against. I've heard it all, read it all. I've read the philosophical stuff. I'm aware of it all. But you need to know at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's not what convinces me. They're helpful. We, we do apologize. We're doing the apologetics class because it's helpful. But that's not ultimately at the end of the day what convinces me that God is there and that he's great and he's worthy of my worship. I was telling this man who did not believe in God that my, my wife and I have uh, grandparents who live in Hawaii conveniently. And uh, from time to time, my wife and I will, and my family will go to Hawaii. And my, my wife and I's favorite be- beach is Waimea Bay on the North Shore in Oahu. And uh, I was just talking to this man. I was like, well, listen, man, like you, I, I could lay out for you all these arguments. 
But, but really, what, like at the end of the day, what, what makes me so sure is when I'm, like for example, I sat on the beach and I'm looking at the sunset and the orange and the yellow and the purple and Hawaii and the sun is setting and the waves are crashing and there's this giant rock off to the left that people can jump off of and I'm sitting there with my wife who's going to be with me until the day that I, that I die and I've got kids and family and we all love Jesus and I'm just like... I don't, how do you miss it, man? Like, what, what do you want me to say? Like, when I look out, I'm just like, I can't help it. What do you want me to do? Like, I, it's my belief in God, it's, it's there because it's just so irresistible. It's just natural. It's not like a logical deduction. I don't sit there in Hawaii Beach going, okay, there's a sun there and, and everything has a, has a cause and I know that it has to come from somebody there and maybe, okay, therefore God exists. God has, not, God has not limited knowledge of himself for us to some logical deduction, to some log- logical argumentation. Like, the only way you can really know God exists is if you have all the arguments figured out. Come on. It's just simply a natural, irresistible response to the clarity of God's communication. I don't know what, if you're here and you're skeptical to God's existence, I don't... And, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, I mean this when I say this. The existence of God, the God of the Bible, is more obvious to me than my own wife and children. I see my wife and children a few hours every day because I got to work, et cetera, et cetera. But everywhere I go, I see God. God's communicating to me. He's speaking, he's declaring, he's proclaiming. His voice is loud and clear. When you hear someone talking into another room, you don't sit there and make, put together all the logical connections for why you conclude that someone is there. You hear the voice and you find yourself naturally, irresistibly, simply believing that someone's there. So if you're here and you're a Christian and you you don't know all the arguments for God's existence or you don't know how to talk to people about how you know God exists and you get kind of nervous about that. You just need to just relax. Like, it's okay. You can have strong confidence because you're just following what is obvious. And if you're here and you don't believe in God or you question his existence, I just want to press you and say, I think you have a lot more explaining to do. And no doubt you... The skeptic will still continue to say, well, the scientific explanation is for the sun and the stars and this and that. Listen, I get it. I, t- I took all the science classes in college. I had to take them all because I wanted to, I thought I was going to be pre-dental and all that kind of stuff and took all the science classes. I understand all the science. I get it. But just because there's a scientific explanation, therefore God doesn't exist, I don't, I don't see the logical connection there. That's a big leap of faith. The reason why I am confident of God's greatness and God's majesty is what John Calvin said many years ago. He spoke of creation as a theater of God's glory. He said, ever since the creation of the universe, God brought forth those signs whereby he shows his glory to us whenever and wherever we cast our gaze. 
And since the glory of his power and wisdom shine more brightly above, heaven is often called his palace. Yet, wherever you cast your eyes, no spot in the universe wherein you cannot discern at least some sparks of his glory. This is why I'm confident that my God is great. Now, there's a problem, though. So God is preaching about God's glory through creation. You can run from it, but you can't hide from it. The problem is, is that this disclosure from God does not and cannot save us. Rather, it condemns us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to leave the Old Testament. We're going to go to Romans 1. If you want to hold your place in Psalms, we'll go back there. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. The verse will be up on the screen. Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. Some of you probably are familiar with this verse, but sometimes the over-familiarity with a verse can deaden its effect. So I'm just going to read it and pause at certain spots. You can see the connection between Psalm 19 and, and Romans 1 very clearly because they're both talking about how God clearly reveals himself through creation. Verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why? Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Note that phrase. It is plain to them. It is not obscure. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, look at this phrase, have been clearly perceived. It's clear. Crystal clear. How long has this been happening? Next phrase, ever since the creation of the world. So from the moment God created the world, the sermon has begun about his glory, and it has not stopped since. In the things that have been made, clearly perceived since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Last phrase is one of the most important parts of this section of Scripture. So, that's a very big so. So, so because God has clearly made himself known, clearly perceived, clearly plain to every single person. And because everyone natural, their heart naturally does not want to welcome God's glory, the one true God, but they suppress the truth. They push it away. They ignore it. They don't want it. They want to rule their own lives. They don't want to give God the honor that he is due. Because they are unrighteousness, it says by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. This is not innocent suppression. This is guilty suppression. They're unright. They suppress the truth. Because of all of that, so they're without excuse. The Greek word for without excuse is anapologetus. Uh, we get apologetics from apologia in 1 Peter 3.15. 
This one is the opposite, anapologetus. You will be without defense. You cannot make a defense before God. There's a famous story of a guy named, an atheistic philosopher named Bertrand Russell. He's no longer living. Uh, And he was teaching in class one time, and one of his students raised their hands and said, Dr. Russell, what are you going to do? What happens? What are you going to say to God if you die and you find out that he actually exists and you stand before him? What are you going to say to God? And Bertrand Russell responded, I'm going to say to God, not enough evidence, God. Not enough evidence. And I realize this is speculation. But I think if anyone says that to God, if, if, if anyone continues to suppress the truth from now until the day that they die and they stand before God and they try to say that, I think that God and all of his billions of angels, will, they, they will say to him, <laughs> are you serious right now? Not enough evidence. It's been plain since the beginning of creation. You have the audacity to say that we did not give you evidence. It was plain. It was clear. You are without excuse. So God has made himself clearly known to everyone through creation. Tragically, all mankind naturally suppresses what is clearly known about God. Therefore, nobody has an excuse and all people are guilty before God. Apart from God's intervention and salvation, there does not exist a person who's aware of this, what God is saying, who, has the, who is conscious and is capable of this perception. There's not a person on the planet who accepts God's full disclosure through creation. Rather, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness and are guilty. And listen very carefully. If this were not the case, and people were somehow capable of not suppressing the truth, but welcoming the truth, despite the fact that Romans 1 says that we all naturally do that. If people were capable of no longer suppressing the truth, but naturally in and of themselves having the power to then embrace the truth, there would be no point in sending missionaries. The purpose of missions... Church of Bergen exists to bring glory to God, to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, locally and globally. That and the end of that mission statement of Church of Bergen would be silly, would be pointless if people were capable of not suppressing the truth but naturally embracing the truth that God is saying through creation. The problem is no one does. And so Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples among all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because everyone's guilty and they need a Savior. All people suppress the truth and embrace false gods apart from salvation in Christ. This includes the irreligious secular man who loves his own life, reputation, and self-esteem. But praise God. Praise God he has not left us in this condition. As I was studying this this passage, I was wondering why why does he go from like how God speaks in creation and then he starts talking about the word of God in scripture. And the answer is because we need a new 
revelation from God that gets underneath the suppression of the truth and transforms the God-suppressing heart. So God brings in a new disclosure, a new revelation from Scripture. He speaks another word by which we can be saved, by which our hearts, which reject the glory of God through creation, can be saved and embrace him for the first time. Notice verses 7 through 11. King David talks about, he notes, he kind of does this rhythm thing through verses 7 through 11. He, notice he starts off talking about, in, the, in each phrase, the purity and power, excuse me, the purity and perfection of God's word, followed by a phrase that talks about the transformative power of that word. Watch this rhythm here. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What does it do? Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. What does it do? Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. What does it do? It enlightens the eyes. So the new disclosure from God comes in and it transforms what was suppressing him on the inside. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are right and true and righteous altogether. This new unveiling from God, the scriptures are needed to transform us on the inside. And when this happens, there are two natural consequences. So God is, God's preaching through the sky. He's preaching about his glory. You can run from it, but you can't hide from it. The problem is, this does not save us. It condemns us because we all naturally suppress the truth of God unless the new revelation from God in the scriptures, in the living word, Jesus Christ, unless that comes in and transforms the heart, will remain in that condition. There are two natural consequences when this, 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 this transformation takes place. Number one, it awakens a new taste for God that was previously suppressed. It awakens a new taste for God that was previously suppressed. Look at verses 10 through 11. It's talking about the written words of God. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. That word desire means crave, long for, passionately, intensely desire. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. So however much, however much excitement, imagine, just imagine with me, okay? Imagine if I could, if I, when I snap my fingers, everyone's salary, if you have a salary, maybe you're not working, but pretend you had a salary. If you didn't have, I snap my fingers and everyone's salary quadruples. What happens to your heart? Get, get a little giddy inside, right? You get a little giddy inside. This says that the words of God are more to be desired. However much desire you feel at your salary multiplying, when this transformation takes place, the desire for the words of God is even greater. 
On top of that, it's sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So however sweet honey tastes, the word of God tastes that much sweeter to the soul. In verse 11, moreover, by them, that is the words of God, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Whatever rewards this world has to offer, there is always a greater one through what the word of God has to offer. Prior to God's transformative word invading your soul, your heart craved money and treasure. It salivated for the sweetness of sin. And you fell prey to the deceptive rewards of self-centeredness and self-glory. Then one day, out of nowhere, without warning, you're reading the Word of God. You're hearing the Word of God. Someone's teaching you the Word of God. Someone is sharing the gospel to you. And you simply find yourself tasting the sweetness of God's love for you and being warmed by His forgiveness of you. Why? Because the purity, perfection, and transformative power of the word of God, of God's new disclosure in the scriptures and the Bible has transformed you on the inside. And what's so transforming about the Bible is not what it's about, but who it's about. It is possible to be, to know this book inside and out, to know it better than any pastor, better than any scholar, and to be, remain utterly dead on the inside. These were the Pharisees. These men memorized practically the whole Old Testament. They knew it front and back. And Jesus rebuked them in John 5, 39 through 40. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, that is the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. People read the Bible like it is a rule book to follow. And maybe that's why some of you, maybe you struggle with Christianity. You, th you think, you think that this book is just a bunch of rules. I've heard that, I've heard that so many times. You think it's just a bunch of rules to be followed. And if I do that, you know, then God will like me. He'll be happy with me. He'll accept me. He'll love me. It does have rules in there. It's got Ten Commandments and whatever. But reality, this, this book is a window. It's a window through which you can see a beautiful Savior. You can see Christ crucified. You can see the one who fully disclosed himself. He was even willing to get, be naked and nailed and slaughtered on a cross for your sins. This book is a window through which you get to gaze upon a gracious Savior that's available to any broken sinner who will just humble themselves before him. When I understood this, when I was taught for the first time that when I read this book, I'm not looking for commandments to follow always, though there's some of those things in there. I'm looking for Christ. I'm looking for God. I want to see him. I want to know him. 
Because by seeing him, what the scriptures testify to is Jesus. The written word of God points to the living word, Jesus Christ. And you can even reread Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, and insert Christ in there. Christ is perfect. Christ is sure. Christ is right. Christ is pure. Christ is clean. Christ is true and righteous altogether. More to be desired is Christ than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey is the grace of Christ upon your soul. And in having Christ, there is great reward. This reminds me of a new rendering that just came out pretty recently of uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, there's a new song that just came out that just changed a couple of lyrics, and you should check it out. It's really, it's really pretty powerful. And there's this one part that's my favorite. Here's how it goes. I could not love thee so blind and unfeeling. Covenant promises fell not to me. Then, without warning, desire or deserving, I found my treasure, my pleasure in thee. You used to suppress the truth of God's full disclosure through creation, but your heart and soul were invaded. There was an invasion that took place by the power, purity, and perfection of the word of God, which then transformed you so you, know, you took away, you know, I used to play football, stiff arm, right, you know? You took away, took away the stiff arm from God. You're stiff arming him away. You don't want him. You're rejecting him. You're suppressing him. And what the gospel does is it changes the heart that's holding those hands up, and you finally say, okay. The result is that you no longer find the glory of God in creation, something to be feared, but something desirable and sweet and rewarding. So it awakens a new taste for, God's, for God that was previously suppressed. And the last thing, and this is where we'll come to a close. It awakens a desire for holiness and integrity before God. Look at verses 12 through 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So God is no longer a fearful judge, but a gracious father. And you have this desire now to please him and him only. And there isn't the slightest part of you that refuses the spirit of Jesus Christ getting into your soul and renovating and renewing parts of you. Nothing's off limits. And notice the psalmist, King David, he's not even asking God to protect him from known sins. He's saying, protect me from things I'm not even aware of. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous Sins. This is a presumptuous sin. We know the line. Here's the line. You cross over the line and you're sinning. You break God's commands or you sin, whatever. Presumptuous sins are ones that just tip over the line. 
Like, I'm not going to step way over. I'm just going to play along over the line right here. That's a presumptuous sin. You're presuming upon God's grace. You're saying, I'm not sinning. I'm just, I'm just on the line. And this man is saying, protect me from that. Let those things have no dominion over me. The reason he wants God to protect him from these little unknown hidden things is because that is what will protect him down the road from destroying his life. Look at the end of verse 13. Then, right, protect me from these hidden, presumptuous, little, respectable things that I'm not really aware of. Protect me from that because then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And in this man's heart, there is left one flame burning. He longs to please his creator and father in heaven. And this is what I would encourage you. I'm just going to read this and we'll, and we'll close. Verse 14, let this, be, let this be your song today. We've got two more songs and I'm going to take the Lord's Supper and sing two more songs. Let this be your song today in your heart. Let the words overflow from a heart that meditates upon God's gracious revelation through Jesus to save you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Know that if you, if you receive Christ as your great reward, you are acceptable in his sight. I was reading this morning in my, my devotionals in Luke 14. There's this moment where it's the, uh, the banquet and they're, making, they're inviting all these people and people refusing to come in into the banquet. And so they send more out and people still refuse and they, people finally come in. There's still some, ta- still, still some chairs left. And he said, just go out and just compel people to come in that my house may be full. So I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're realizing you've suppressed the truth. Maybe you realize that this transforming power of the word of God has not invaded your soul yet and you need it to happen. Let's ask him to do that for us all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this powerful display of of your full disclosure. You not held yourself back. You made yourself clearly known in all that you have made, and you made yourself newly known through the Word of God and through the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to have meditations in our hearts and words as well that flow from the meditations of the heart that cling to Jesus and trust him and hold to him tightly. For we know that in Jesus Christ, we shall be acceptable in your sight. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.